Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. What a beautiful morning it was. Anybody see the sunrise this morning? That was pretty sweet, wasn't it? Yeah. We are in uh, picking up in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 still, and starting in verse 5, actually not 5, 6. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you, so uh, you can check down there and grab one if you'd like. Let's read this together, starting in verse 6. This kind of picks up in the story where we left off last week and starts talking about a man named John, John the Baptist. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you, to praise you with other Christians. Thank you for the opportunity to have our hearts comforted through just expressing ourselves through song and through prayer. God, thank you for the many blessings you give us as a church family. God, I pray for those who may be feeling uh, lonely as we enter into the holiday season, into, into Thanksgiving, the, in the Christmas Advent season. God, we pray that the church family would be their family, that you would comfort each one of us, that you would remind us that you have given us many brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers all around us this morning. Help us to enjoy the fellowship that you've created. Help those that are uh, lonely to find comfort, to find family in your family. God, we pray now that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand your word. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us that the, the truths that we hear here, that we may have read many times, that they would grip our hearts, that you give us a new understanding, a fresh understanding, a deeper understanding of your word, of what it means, and that you would apply it to our lives for your glory 
for our joy and for the joy of those that we would share the good news of what you have done with. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I start here, I want to start with a question. What is the gospel? If you had to describe it to somebody, could you do it? This is a question many of us think we know. We hear the word frequently, almost every week, hopefully. But we might have a hard time explaining. What is the gospel? Let's say a friend calls you on the phone and said, Hey, I've been wrestling with some thoughts lately. My mind, I'm not sleeping, I'm having a hard time. And I really want to get together to talk. I feel guilty. I have thoughts and I have fears that are inside of me. I feel weighed down by all these things. Nothing I'm doing, nothing I've tried has worked. And I want to know, is there relief from my fear and guilt? Can you tell me about God? If you had someone ask you that, would you be able to explain to them the gospel? Would you be able to come and say, yeah, let's get together. I'd love to meet with you. If so, what would you say? How would you explain the gospel to them? I think most of us would love to have this opportunity. I imagine we would also, though, feel intimidated, maybe a little bit fearful, like, oh, no, what do I say? What would you do in that situation? Maybe you would Google, what is the gospel, right? Go online and what is the gospel? Uh, maybe you'd call a friend. You could stop by the church office for advice. You know, all those things I think would be great ideas. Uh, you have to be careful what you read on the Internet, but um, all those would be maybe helpful. But why not take your friends to the source? You could say something like this. Hey, let's get together and let's read the Bible. Let's start with the book of John. Now, God, in the gospel according to John, has given us an excellent resource to share with our friends who want to come to know him, who want to find relief from their fears, from their guilt, from their shame. If you notice in your own Bibles, at the top of the page, what is the title of the book? It should say something like, The Gospel According to John. The word gospel means good news. You may have heard that before. It means good news. And specifically, the gospel, this is a message of good news of who God is and what he has done for us. You know, so if someone asks you, hey, what is the gospel? A simple statement you could say would be, the gospel is good news for humans. Good news of what God has done for humans. It's good news. After all, this is why John wrote his book. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Justin mentioned that John wrote this book so that people could have eternal life. We see that in chapter 20 of the book, verses 30 and 31. John writes this. This is kind of the purpose statement of the whole book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this book tells us the good news. The Apostle John, carried by the Holy Spirit, wrote this book so that you may know Jesus, trust in Jesus, and find eternal life in Christ. Find freedom from your guilt and fears and shame. And this good news, according to John, which is amazing, many of you have read John before, 
it's, it's clear enough and in a way simple enough for a child to understand God's amazing love. We all, many of us have memorized John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his son, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, have eternal life. But this is also deep enough to captivate and enthrall a theologian for their entire life. They can never, you can never mine the depths of this. So who is this John who wrote this message of good news? Well, if we try to figure out who's the guy that wrote this message. During Jesus' ministry on earth, John, who wrote this book, was one of the closest friends and disciples of Jesus. Now think about how deep did John know him. John shared meals with Jesus. Usually we only shared meals with some of our closest friends. John took mission trips with Jesus. John even went fishing with Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? We went fishing with Jesus. John witnessed the life, the teachings, the miracles, even the sacrificial death, and even the resurrection of Jesus. And after all that, he saw Jesus taken up into heaven. That is the person who wrote this book. He's an eyewitness. He saw these things firsthand. He touched Jesus. He saw him. In this first chapter of John's gospel, we see some beautiful truths. And we can more clearly understand the question, what is the gospel from this text? So for this message, I'd like to highlight five aspects of what is the gospel. You know, there's, uh, there's many other things you could pull out of this, but just five aspects of what is the gospel. First, the gospel is a message about who God is. It's a message about who God is. John wants us to see that the one true and eternal God is Jesus. He also wants us to know that Jesus is the source of all life. From the very beginning, God has been in the business of creating life through Jesus. And what we believe about Jesus is vitally important. You know, through the ages, though, people have gotten Jesus wrong. Um, there's different groups that have taught that Jesus is not the eternal God. They teach something to the fact that Jesus is merely a created being. They might say that at some point Jesus became God, but they also teach that there was a time at which Jesus did not exist as God. And one of these guys, uh, his name was Arius. Arius was, uh, he lived in the 4th century AD, and he was one of the first teachers to make this claim that Jesus was created, that he was not eternal. Following Arius, there's a, there's a few, a couple popular groups today that teach a very similar message. They create, they, they, they teach that Jesus is merely a created being. A couple of these to be aware of would be both the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of the Latter-day Saints. They hold to this view. Basically, their teachings say that Jesus is a God. So it sounds right. Like, yeah, they'll say Jesus is God. But they don't say that he is the one uncreated, eternal God who made all things. But if we look at these first verses of John, if you, if you read them, if you look at the logic here, this is explained to us that Jesus is and has always been God. That's what John wants us to know. Jesus is the divine word or the divine logos we see in the first five verses. He is the one who created the universe when God said, let there be. 
Jesus is the one who made the first light shine in the darkness through the sun, the moon, and the stars in the beginning. Jesus is the one who in himself has life and gave life to all people. That is Jesus. That's the true Jesus. And Jesus is the person who makes the invisible God known. That's what John's saying in verse 18. So if you want to know God, you must know the true Jesus. It's important to know the true Jesus. I was reading an article this week from the Homeland Security that explained that, that law enforcement apparently has noticed a lot of counterfeit products are being pumped into our culture. It's growing at an alarming rate. These objects have the same look and the same feel and often the same name as the original, but they're not. Now, you might be wondering, and I was wondering, well, how important is something that it's real? Does it make a big deal? Should we really be concerned about this? Should we have the homeland security um, thinking about this, having a task force? Well, it's big enough that uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the homeland security, they've been hard, working hard to crack down. So why? Why are they cracking down on phony products? Well, phony products not only rip people off, but they can be deadly. They write this in their article. Counterfeit airbags and their components can cause severe malfunctions ranging from non-deployment, underinflation, overinflation to explosion of metal shrapnel during deployment in a crash. Counterfeit lithium-ion laptop batteries post a significant risk of extreme heat self-igniting and exploding. Counterfeit helmets and baby carriers can break easily and fail to protect. Counterfeit prescription drugs may not contain the active ingredient or could lead to accidental overdose. And apparently, these counterfeit products are being pumped into America. And so there's a task force searching for these things. Counterfeit stuff is a serious problem. We might not think about it. It looks just like the original. But what's even worse than a counterfeit object is making a counterfeit God. A counterfeit God is catastrophic. Jesus himself warned his disciples saying, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Matthew 24, 4 and 5. So the first words of John's book, what he's doing here, he's showing us that it's vital to understand who God is. If we want to have and understand this life-giving message of the gospel, we have to understand first who God is. Following a fake Jesus will ruin your life and your eternity. Only the true Jesus has the power to save you and give you eternal life. So as we move on, this gospel message not only declares who God is, we also see, number two, that the gospel is a message about God making promises, making promises to save his people. So the gospel is a message about God making promises to save his people. So as we think about the gospel, we need to look back. We need to think back. And John here takes us back to the very beginning of the story. Look at, we just glance over the structure of this passage. You'll notice that verses 1 through 9 focus on the nature and the work of God the Son before the birth of Christ, before the first Christmas. In John 10 through 18, John describes the wonderful mystery of God the Son taking on human flesh and living with his people. 
So thinking about God's work in the past, look at and think about connections in John 1, 1 through 5 with the beginning of the gospel, or beginning of the Bible story. Look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It reminds us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We were meant to know God, to love God, to walk with God, and to talk with God. But if you know the story of Genesis, starting the Genesis, moving through the rest of the Old Testament, you'll know that the people of God, the people God created, did not always worship and they did not always enjoy him. Instead, God's people, his own creation, they rebelled against him and they broke the good laws that he had given them to protect them. In breaking God's laws, they were separated from him by their sin. And the natural consequence of their rebellion was pain and death. Now, trusting in God is as as essential to life as the air we breathe. The Bible says that in him we live and move and we have our being. So when people that God made turn from their creator, it is as if we are giving up on breathing. The result of that is death. And this is our sad reality too. Not only do those in the Old Testament reject God, give up on God, but we too have also rebelled against our creator. Paul in Romans 3, 10-12 says this, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Think about that. Nobody's righteous. Not one of us in here is righteous have kept God's laws perfectly. We have all failed. And this explains why there's so much sadness and brokenness in, in our world. By nature, we, we, each one of us, are sinners. And we are fighting against our Creator. We need God to rescue us from our own twisted hearts. Do you feel that? Do you feel that need for God? You know, and we don't really need someone, you don't really need me to stand up here and preach a sermon telling you that this world is messed up, do you? <laughs> Think about it. You don't need it. We, we can look around us. Listen to the news. Not only look outside of you, but look inside of you. Look at your own life. How about your relationships? Are they all perfect and nice? Even the church, are our relationships all perfect? Do we have ourselves all put together? You might look at your friends and think, yeah, they're all put together. But if you look at the inside, we're not all put together. We have pain. We have brokenness. We have loss. It's hard. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm pretty good, right? Like, I'm decent, but imagine for a moment that you had a thought bubble above your head, like, you know, like comic books, where everybody could see every thought of your mind and every desire that you have. Would everybody else say you're a good person if they could see that all the time? Would people in here think you're a good person? Anger, selfishness, pride, jealous, jealousy. You guys ever feel that? Lust. I don't know about you, those things are close at hand in my life. These sins, these are sins that our fallen minds and our bodies naturally crave. We hunger for them. Yet, in God's kindness, He promised to rescue us from our own darkness. 
You know, in the Old Testament, he, he, he repeatedly promises us, but one of the places we see this promise is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And, and God gives this promise 700 years before Christ was born. This is uh, from the New Living Translation, Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. How and why? For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. That's just one of the promises that God gave, saying, hey, you're broken, but I'm going to come and save you. And it's going to come through a little baby being born. He's going to be the one that saves you. He's going to bring light to your darkness. So throughout the Old Testament, God promised to send a Savior to release his people from their rebellion against him and to rescue them from their own self-imposed darkness. As we move on to, to the third point I want to make about the gospel is this. The gospel is a message of God not only making promises, but it's a message of God keeping his promises to save his people. As we look at verse 6 here, we see that God is on the move. He's on the move. After thousands of years of promise after promise, the people are like wondering, God, are you ever going to do this? Are you ever going to keep your promises? The time came. The time came for him to rescue his people. And John explains that God started this rescue mission by sending a man named John the Baptist. John's job, John the Baptist's job, was to tell everyone, tell everyone that the one who is coming, the one who will bring light into our darkness, he's, he's here. He's coming and he's here. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. Why did he come? That all might believe through him. Now, he was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. Speaking of the eternal light we just heard about in verses 1 through 5. This Baptist man, he was a man. He was a human. And he was sent by God. He was a, a man on a mission. We are told that John the Baptist is not the light, but he is one of the first key witnesses to tell everyone that this promise is being fulfilled. The promised light is now getting ready to shine in the darkness. And John, John's God-given objective was to be the eyewitness pointing to Jesus. He's like, hey, I'm not the one. He is. Jesus is the one you should follow. And his goal was that all might believe in Jesus through his life and through his witness. In a way, we get to have a similar life. We come to know Jesus, and that's what we do. We point back to Jesus. Hey, Jesus is God. He's the one. Now, think about John the Baptist. He was like the ultimate advance team. When the President of the United States travels, the White House has to scramble. The Secret Service, they send out this advance team to prepare the way of the President to come, to get the place ready for the President. They scope out the security. They plan the best routes. 
They make sure they have people ready to, to help him to prepare the way. And like, okay, President's going to be coming here. He's right here. We have to have it all set up. Well, John was like this. He was the advanced team that God had sent. He was the agent that God sent to get people ready for the Savior's arrival. And what we see next here, though, is that God was not only going to save his people, but the way he was going to do it was mind-boggling. He himself was going to come from heaven to earth, become a human to save his people. So the fourth point of the gospel is this. The gospel is a message about God himself becoming human to save humans. It's amazing. The, me- the gospel is a message about God himself becoming human to save humans. And this is amazing. In the first few verses of God's, John's gospel, he makes sure that we understand who God is. We just saw that. God is the eternal light who in creation illuminated the darkness. And God is the word, the divine agent of creation who made and gave life to all living things. Now, in a moment that rivals creation itself, a new creation is about to take place. Verse 9 and 10 says that the eternal light came down to the world that he made. So this eternal light, God, came down to the world he made. And verse 14 says the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among his people. Let's look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Notice the word is his, it's a person. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This person, the word become flesh, is what John the Baptist was getting everybody ready for. The coming of of God the Son himself to live with his people as one of them. And this is just amazing. The God of the universe who spoke everything into existence became flesh. The second person of the Trinity took upon human nature to live with and serve his own creation. Paul in Colossians 1.15 says this about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You look at Jesus, you see God. Colossians 2.9 says this about Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. And John 1.18 here in our text says that the only way anyone will ever get to know the invisible God is if they come to know Jesus. Why? Because verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God. But the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who is God at the Father's side? Who is God at God's side? This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. In Christ, we see true God in flesh. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get to see the power, the kindness, the mercy, and the greatness of God on display. 
And theologians, they call this the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. What does incarnation mean? In the incarnation, God took upon full humanity, but did not give up any of his divinity. Jesus is truly God and truly man. Incarnation comes from the Latin word incarnate. And in is into, and caro or carn is flesh, meaning made flesh. It's the incarnation. We could spend hours, you could read books for your whole life about the incarnation and still not get to the depths of it. But at the heart of Christianity is this point that almost 2,000 years ago in the town of Bethlehem, God, the Son, came from heaven to earth. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born to the Virgin Mary. He grew up. He had brothers and sisters. He learned how to read and how to write. Kids, if you're having a hard time learning how to read, Jesus had to learn how to read too. Learn how to talk, how to write. He ate food. If you're a parent and you have a baby and the baby spits the food out, that's what Jesus did too. Probably wouldn't eat his food like he, he wanted, his mom wanted to. Jesus took naps and he lived among his people. He was like us in every way, yet he was without sin. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. But why did God have to take on human nature? Why? It's a great question. And one of the reasons we see in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we needed a perfect substitute or a perfect representative to save us from our sins. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 says this. Since therefore the children, speaking of us, humanity, we share in flesh and blood, Jesus likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. And deliver all those, us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or, we could say that another way, to make atonement for our sins, the sins of his people. Since we have all sinned, and the consequence of our sin is death. The Bible says that we needed a sinless human to be our representative, to take our sin upon himself, to die the death that we deserve in our place. And this is what Jesus did. He came to do this. Jesus, the God-man, came to live perfectly in our place. He kept the law perfectly that we don't keep, that we break. He did it for us. And not only that, but he came and he died for our sins, he died the death that we deserve, the wrath of God for our sins. He said he would take that in our place so that we might be saved from the punishment that our sins deserve. If you think about this, we owed a debt of sin that we could not pay. So our generous, kind, and merciful God decided to pay it for us. Has anyone ever paid a debt for you? Maybe you have a big debt right now and you wish, man, I wish somebody would pay that for me. <laughs> I could be free of that debt. That's what God did. God did that for us. 
in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus said, I want to pay it off. I want to pay for their sin and pay it in full. So that burden of debt, the debt burden is gone. The burden of sin. This is what the Bible calls grace. It's something we don't deserve. We sin, we deserve consequences of our sin, separation from God and eternal separation from God. But God gives us forgiveness. God gives us Jesus to live in our place. God allows Jesus not only to live and to have to experience what we experience and to suffer as we suffered in the life, but he also gave us Jesus to die in our place on the cross. We broke the law, but through Christ, God offers us forgiveness and life. This is why John, verses 16 and 17 in our text here says, for from his fullness, talking about Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace, not only a little bit of grace, but it's like grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. That's the law that we broke. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As I move to the last point, very short point, But when God came and lived among his people, how did people respond to this amazing gift, to this grace that God was holding? Here, I want to help you. I want to save you. I want you to find life. I want you to find joy. How did people respond to this gift, this free gift? The question leads us to the final aspect of the gospel. The gospel is a message that requires a response. The gospel is a message that requires a response. So let's read starting at verse 9 and notice how the people of God responded when their creator came and lived with them. Verse 9, the true light, speaking of the eternal light, God, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You just let that sit. The authentic, the one true, authentic, not counterfeit God came in Jesus Christ and he was rejected. He was rejected. He came to his own creation, even his own chosen people, Israel, and they made fun of him. They laughed at him. His own creation was mean to him. Gossiped about him. Despised him. And even though he never sinned against anyone, ever, he never sinned, they hated him. They hated him so much that they falsely accused him, made a fake trial, found him guilty of crimes he did not commit, and from there he was publicly humiliated and painfully murdered by hanging on a cross. That's what we did when God came. Wow, that is amazing. Many of us have felt rejection in our lives, too. From friends, from families, classmates, coworkers, even those nearest and dearest to us. If you felt rejected, you feel rejected right now, 
know that Jesus understands how you feel. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's walked the path of rejection. He gets you and he wants to comfort you. So I encourage you, if you feel rejected, feel like no one cares for you, loves you, no one gets you, come to Jesus. He gets you. He understands you. But as we look back on our text, let's notice that not everybody rejected Jesus. Verse 12, John writes that some received him, and those who did were given the gift of new life. Look at verse 12. The contrast, some rejected, but, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So some chose to respond by receiving him, believing in him. And what does it mean to receive? To receive Jesus means that you recognize his authority. You recognize who he is. The people that received him recognize this is God. This is the eternal creator God who's come down. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. This is the true king of the world. And not only did they receive and recognize Jesus' authority as God, but they also believed. They believed in his name. And to believe in Jesus, and this is a word they might wonder, what does it mean to believe? To believe in Jesus means to basically entrust yourself to him in complete confidence. Like, I, I trust you, Jesus. I have confidence in you, in who you are, and what you've said you've done, what you've done for me, and what you said you're going to do in saving me. We have faith, we have trust in the person, in the object of Christ himself. Now imagine you have fallen in a dark pit, a dark, deep hole, and the sides are made of rocks, or like a wet, slippery rock, like a cave. Maybe there's a little bit of mud on the ground. And you try to climb up, and it's just slippery. Like, I, can't, I can't climb up this. And you can't even see the top, it's so dark. There's no way you could ever climb out of it. Jesus climbed down from heaven to earth into the dark pit, and he's calling for you to take his hand. He's the only one that has the power to do that. He's climbed down. He's saying, take my hand. I'll save you. Do you trust me? Do you, do you believe that Jesus has the power to save? That's, that's what we're believing. We're trusting in him. Do you believe he has the power to save, to pull you out of your own sin, the pit of sin that you're in? Believing in Jesus means that we rely on his power to help because we're convinced that he is who he says he is. He is God. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death, the resurrection, and he is coming again to take us home. John says that all, not just a select few of special uh, descent or lineage or good family background, is all who take this step of trust in Jesus are given the privilege to become children of God. Maybe you feel like you're a nobody. You feel like nobody would give you this kind of privilege. Well, God says you can be his child. You can be a child of God. He does not discriminate. 
Being a child of God means you can be welcomed into his family. You can be seated at his table. You could one day eat a meal with him in heaven. Have this relationship that pulls away your guilt and shame, gets rid of the fears, and you have acceptance of your heavenly father. Not only that, but he gives you spiritual life, the the thing you've been hungering for, life eternal. And you know, becoming a child of God is not something you can earn or work hard. Like, oh yeah, I have to be really good, to be a good person. No, he tells us here in verse 13, nope, it's not because of your work. It's not because of working hard. It's not because of anything you can do or anything that you can work towards. The point of verse 13 is that becoming a child of God is God's work, not yours. He's done the work to save you. You have to accept the gift that he offers. The final question, have you responded to King Jesus, holding out his hand to save you? There's only two responses, rejecting Jesus or receiving Jesus. There's no middle way. Are you rejecting him? Or have you recognized his authority? You recognize that he is who he says he is. He is God. And have you entrusted yourself into his hands to save you? Now, thinking about this choice, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news that God has loved you and sent his son to save you from all of your fears, all of your guilt. Jesus came from heaven to earth to live the life you could not live, to die to forgive you of all your failures, and to give you unending life with him. If you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the greatest news of all time. And you're rejecting the only hope for eternal joy. Not only that, you're rejecting God himself. I hope none of us in here will be rejecting God. Today, if you have not received and believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, even today, you can do this. You can admit to him your sin, your failures, your faults, And you can ask him to save you. You can even do that as I pray or as we sing our closing song. And come to Jesus. You can take his hand that he is offering to save you. But all for you who have received Christ, let's continue to dig deep into the good news of the gospel. Let us continue to ponder and to celebrate who God is, his great love for us, and what he has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news. It's so deep, it's so wide, it's so amazing. This, this message cannot do it justice. But I pray, Lord, that you would have reminded us this morning that your Holy Spirit would use your word that we just read to give us hope that you would be working. If there's any here that do not know you, maybe a young person that's never understood the gospel, that they would understand that you have come to save them that you have done the work for them. God, I pray if there's any here that have not come to you, that you would allow them to see their sin and their need for you as their Savior and that they would place their trust in you today. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.